I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat. But that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 51 of Bro Battles Endless Hustle. I am your host, Matt Cohan, and as always, my friend Arthur Cade is my right-hand man. Arthur, how are you doing today? Better than being your left-hand man. We have an awesome episode today, and two people I really didn't know what to expect from. And we'll start with the first one, former WWE champion and sneaky acting, how should I say this, acting... You can just call him future Oscar winner, Matt. Just give him future Oscar winner. I'm sure he's going to appreciate that. Obviously, CM Punk, Mr. Philip Brooks. He's in the new supernatural horror movie, Jacob's Wife. And I don't really need to list his resume in the WWE because it speaks for itself. But Mr. Punk was awesome. I wonder if that's how he shows up to a restaurant. And like, Mr. Punk, your table is ready. Yeah, no, he was he was absolutely terrific. He's got like one of those super sneaky, dry sense of humor personalities. And we've been having a ton of wrestling icons on recently for no specific reason other than it's just been happening. And it was fascinating to talk to him about his transition from one of the most popular names in the WWE to now, uh, I, I would call him a successful actor. The guy's actually seeing real success with this. His wife is also an enormous WWE former star. So they have this like power couple thing going on, but yeah, he's becoming this well-known face in the horror genre. You can tell he's totally enjoying it. And that I really loved. We were able to dig into his WWE past. He gave us great stories around Vince McMahon stories around his career and the transition and why it's been so successful for him. And I really liked CM Punk. He's welcome back anytime. Yeah, I mean, we dove into his straight edge persona that he used so geniusly over the years. He really got known in the WWE for his verbal skills and presence in pressure situations. We talk about that infamous hype bomb promo from, you know, years ago, which I equated to Bill Burr's Philly rant from 2006. And he dives all into that. He dives into his inspirations. He dives into his post career goals. Uh, if you like CM Punk, this is a good episode. If you don't like CM Punk, just listen, just because you like us. Yeah, it's still a good episode. Oh, and by the way, he also talks about, he was commentating on that moment that went viral. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it, it's incredible. There was an MMA fighter who lost his finger in the ring. CM Punk was actually commentating on that match and told us, the bonker situation of what was happening and what it was like being ringside. So that was pretty cool. Before we move on to CM Punk's interview, we also have a second guest, no slouch of her own, Hannah Burner, who has become the breakout star from Bravo's hit show, Summer House. Hannah's got a hit podcast or two up her sleeve. She's a successful comedian now. She's become a really popular personality, just even outside of the reality TV world. Just as you had mentioned, Matt, we weren't sure what to expect from her. Because listen, you can be super funny on your podcast. You can be super funny on a TV show. And then you come on our show and you have no personality. She was electric. You guys are going to love Hannah Burner's interview as well. Talking all about dating in New York. I felt like if we were to ever have a third co-host, 
Hannah Burner would be my selection because our the three of our chemistries was just off the charts. Yeah, I'm buying Hannah Burner stock. I mean, I'm not a big summer house guy. I know you're a huge Bravo guy. I'm just getting into it. All my friends are into it. So, you know, I didn't really know what to expect from Hannah. I know she has a really funny Instagram, but, you know, it's a different thing when you're meeting two schmoes like us and talking about your life. And she was hilarious, brought the energy from start to finish, you know, and she was a former MVP at University of Wisconsin tennis team so she's not only an athlete which this podcast is basically founded on but she's a comedian and now she's uh, a fan favorite here yeah you guys i can't wait to for you guys to hear her her talking about her college tennis career legendary stuff so we'll get to hannah shortly but first up phil cm punk brooks check out his new movie jacob's wife it's out now We are thrilled to have on The Endless Hustle today, former WWE champion and actor in the new supernatural horror movie, Jacob's Wide, which has gotten great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. Mr. Philip Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, thanks for making the time. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. That yeah. was a, a lovely introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Do you prefer Philip Brooks or CM Punk? Oh, you can call me Phil. You can call me Punk. Either, uh, either or. I answer to either. I prefer Punk. Okay. <laughs> so you played a mustache cop and jacob's wife this isn't your first time you work with uh director travis stevens can you give us some insight on how this came to be and what appeals to you about the horror genre because you this is your third or fourth at this point i grew up watching horror movies um and the scarier the better you know if it, if it scared me when i was a kid i wanted to watch it uh until it didn't scare me like maybe that was a way of trying to control the narrative and you know uh master my fear um I've worked with Travis in the past. So the way this project came about was he texted me and said, Hey, um, thinking about a role for you in my new movie. And I just said, yes, sight unseen, didn't read the script. Uh, but I know and love Travis and I trust him. And I think he's a, a super creative person. So I knew whatever it was, it would be good. And, you know, thankfully I was right. You know, I, I read the script after I agreed to do it and I loved it. Uh, I love, I love the role the chance to be in a film with uh, Scream Queen, Barbara Crampton, Bonnie Ahrens, Larry Fessenden. I, I jumped at the chance to do that. You know, they're all great, amazing, talented actors. Phil, after hearing Matt's introduction, I think he might have a future cut and promos as a wrestler. What do you think? Oh, yeah. You know, why not? I mean, I, I, I can I can help on the, the finer points and, you know, we can we can work on that. But yeah, for sure. Well, I'll have my people talk to yours and we'll get the contract situated. Lovely. So you leave WWE. Anytime mm -hmm. people leave that organization, it can go great. It can go poorly or it can go sideways. It's gone great for you. You're doing great. Was there ever a concern leaving the organization? What the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? No, because I mean, I, I dedicated a, a, you know, a large chunk of my life to professional wrestling. Um, my time in WWE was, you know, I look at it like it was a chapter in a book. There's people who, of course, just know me strictly from that, uh, but don't realize that I I wrestled, you know, many many years, you know, before that. And it was it was it was time to go, you know. So it, it wasn't necessarily a thing that I needed 
to do. Um, and if I wanted to do other stuff in my life and, and have other careers and do fun stuff, I, I needed to go. So it was never a concern of, Oh my God, what am I going to do now? It was more of a, Oh yeah. What am I, what am I not going to do now? I'm going to do all the things. Once you start moving into the acting genre, obviously as a wrestler and being part of the organization, you already had experience as an entertainer, but were directors, were casting agents, were they able to separate CM Punk from Phil? Mm, yeah, I think so, because I'm not sure if I've gotten a role based on, you know, who anything CM Punk did. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think I've just I've read for a ton of stuff and the stuff that I have got was, you know, based on then and, and there and, and not anything I did in the past. I just finished, I just wrapped on uh, Heels, a TV show that's uh, on the Stars Network going to debut in, in, in August. And obviously my past as a pro wrestler uh, helped out on that role, you know, tremendously. But I, I also don't think I necessarily would have been given the role if I wasn't, you know, CM Punk. So still still waiting for the, the role to come through where they're like, we saw you CM Punk and we think you're perfect for this one, you know. I think one of the traits that really sets you apart is your verbal skills and your presence in kind of pressure situations. Is that an intrinsic quality or are you spending a lot of time with yourself in the mirror? Like, how do you prepare for these performances, both in the ring and, and you know, on screen? I just think at some point you're born with it. You know, I, I, I for sure think you can practice cutting promos and you can practice running lines, which is really the same thing. But there comes a point where you're in front of 80,000 people and the pressure's on and it's live television, or you're on set and you're wearing a specific practical makeup effect that you only got one shot at getting right. And you either, you either rise to the occasion or, you know, you, it gets over like a fart in church, you know? And I, I just think that's something you're kind of born with where you can live outside of your body in those moments and just be like, just go. And you, you attack the moment and you own it. And, you know, a lot of the times it's turned out great in my career. Sometimes I, it, it doesn't, but you're, you're either born with that or you're not at that level. So you're the second best wrestler in the family, obviously just joking, but you're married to an incredible wrestler with AJ. Yes. We just had Camille Kostic on the show, who's Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski's longtime girlfriend. And she mm -hmm. talked about how when they were together, they had to hide their relationship for two years while they were with the Pats. I'm always curious inside of the WWE, whenever there's inter-organizational relationships, what is that actually like? Is it something you can go public with? Are they big fans of it? Are they like, keep it quiet? What goes on behind the scenes? Uh, no, they, they actually, they, they despise it. Um, <laughs> they they for, they for sure don't encourage that you know uh i think because maybe to them it it it, it causes problems where like you know i we'd want to be on european tours together and they would for some reason be like no 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 we got to split you guys up for absolutely no reason there's no reason you know but yeah for whatever reasons they they always seem to not like it when the the wrestlers would date each other but i mean if we were all accountants and we we're all in the same office building, I'm sure, you know, the accountants date the accountants. Um, we never tried to hide it really from anybody. Um, we also weren't trying to flaunt it. You know, it's just something that 
that happened and you know if somebody else had a problem with it like they just had to deal with it i guess when you see the success that she started having obviously she's one of the faces that helped build that whole female side of the wwe and now to see what it's become is just mind-blowing did she mm-hmm. have an understanding at that time of what she was helping build and did you guys both understand what it would become yeah she for sure she for sure knew what she was doing to this day i think she's still the only one who challenged the uh the pay structure you know um you had stephanie mcmahon trying to tweet about all these social issues and back women in entertainment and my awesome wife just came right out and tweeted at her and was like put your money where your mouth is you know like start here pay us you know not sure if that's ever happened yet, but yeah, I mean, she knew what she was doing, you know, and I, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that she doesn't get as recognized as I think she should. But I always like to say, you know, the first, first one through the wall gets bloodied. You know what I mean? They're the ones on the front lines that are taking the arrows and everybody else behind them gets to, to run through, but she's, I'm, I'm super proud of her for that. You know what I mean? Like she, she kind of opened the floodgates for a lot of those girls. Uh, I just, hopefully they you know they they i think the fans and the girls know you know who who paved the way and who helped out you mentioned your, your promos i'm not sure if you've seen i think it was from 2006 there was this bill burr goes to arthur's hometown of philly and he just abandons the set and just rips for, on the city for 11 straight minutes it's iconic you should you should google it or it's i and i think your pipe bomb promo in 2011 i think was the equivalent of that as far as like historic performance where does that moment stand in your career and in comparison to other WWE promos that you were inspired by? Uh, I, I mean, that's, that's what I'm known for, right? That I, I think in my career, that's what people talk about the most. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, I was always a promo guy. I think I cut better promos, but I certainly never cut a more famous one. And there has to be something to be said that, you know, like, even if that was the only good thing I ever did in my career, like you can't shortchange it because of what followed and how much that particular moment of my career resonates with people. You know, I, I mean, I, I stand by that, you know, like you, you talk about great promos in pro wrestling and there's not a lot of guys that have that promo that you can talk about with, you know, one word pipe bomb. Yeah. Dusty Rhodes, hard times. After that, you know, I mean, it gets it gets harder and harder to to name, you know, promos like that that are just so iconic. You can name it with one word, and I'm I'm super proud of that. You know, I to stand side by side with a guy like Dusty Rhodes, that's that's everything fifteen year old Phil wanted. What went into the preparation of that? Was that word for word or were you riffing? Like how much of that was just off the cuff and how much of it was kind of studied and, and rehearsed? Um, no, it was, it was off the cuff. I mean, I lost my train of thought like at least three separate times. And, you know, uh, if you watch it, I can tell where I, I absolutely lose my train of thought, like where I'm just, you know, adrenaline's taking over. And there's just a lot of years of frustration boiling over and being told to go out there and say whatever I wanted and capitalizing on that, but also not going overboard, you know, being like, well, I can just drop F-bombs here and there and blah, blah, blah. So working within the the, the parameters of the television show you're on and wanting to talk people into the building to come see you versus John Cena, um, but not getting 
too overboard. You know, it, it, there was the preparation was the, the years of blood, sweat and tears that led up to that moment. Yeah. It was a beautiful, like high wire act. Like you kept it within the confines, but you like sent the strong message. I just watched it this morning again. And it was, I was just mind boggled again. Well, as a, as a time capsule, like if you look back at it, that, you know, like I could have, I could have dropped F-bombs to make people go, Oh, wow. He's not supposed to say that to me. The more effective thing to do was to say Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar, new Japan ring of honor. Those were equivalent to dropping F-bombs uh, on WWE programming because you weren't supposed to talk about those things. Wait, so is there an anti-name the people who are no longer with the organization rule? Oh, I mean, at that time, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, I'd imagine there probably is one now, too, and I'm probably on it. But, yeah, like um, just knowing Vince and knowing – who who bothered him and, and and stuff like that um but when you're on that television show doing live live tv you can do whatever you want a lot of people don't realize that um you just have to make sure it's good because it's because if it's bad you know chances are you're going to get in trouble but i knew it was going to be good so I, I i got away with murder that night lately we've been having a lot of wrestlers on the show although we don't really specialize in wrestling it's just kind of been happening but we had christian on last week and oh, also and renee paquette and Renee was telling us a great story about what Vince is like behind the scenes and kind of the, the devil and the, and the, just the good and the bad. You obviously were super outspoken in your relationship with him. What was he like behind the scenes for you? Um, you know, I always felt like he, he wanted, like he, he wants a relationship with a lot of the wrestlers. Um, and I was always just like, you're just my boss, dude. Like, I don't need a, I don't need a dad. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I would butt heads with him a lot, but I, I think he always wanted that. I, I, I think he surrounds himself with, with people who just agree with everything he says. Um, so here comes this punk rock kid on his first pay-per-view going into his office and telling him, Hey man, I, I think this is, this is all wrong. And him being like, well, I, I think I've been at this a little bit longer than you have. And me being like, yeah, that's true. But, you know, it's still, it's still wrong. And like, you know, whether I was right, wrong, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I always think he respected the fact that I just always said whatever I felt, whatever was on my mind. If he asked me a question, he knew he was getting the unbridled truth. You know what I mean? I, I was never going to sugarcoat something or tell him something that I felt he just wanted to hear. Does it ever get to the point like it would with a parent where you guys piss each other off so much where it might come to blows or you're throwing shit in an office. Like what, what's the apex of the Vince feud? No, I mean, I don't think we ever screamed at each other or anything like that. I wrestled, I, I, I wrestled Vince in his last match. So that's, that's pretty exciting. And he's one of those, those guys who was like, you better, you better lay it in. You better hit me as hard as you can. And then I had triple H pulling me aside being like, don't hit him as hard as you can. He's like, you know, he's 65 years old, like take it easy on him, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, at the end of the day, I think you got to respect Vince because a lot of the times he wouldn't have um, sent anybody out there to do something that he himself wouldn't have done. He's famously like, you know, falling off cages and, 
embarrassed himself on live television. So he's always, he's always willing to do that. And when I did wrestle him, I, I kicked him so hard in the head, he started bleeding out of his ear. So, you know, he's a tough, tough old man. That's incredible. Did he, did he give you any lip service about that afterwards or was that all good? All's fair and love? No, no. He, he, he loves that stuff. He, although he has never wrestled again. So, you know, you <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. CM Punk ended Vince's career. <laughs> One way to look at it. <laughs> One of the things that Christian obviously made the transition over to AEW, and he recently said that while he has nothing against the WWE, the uh, AEW is less hectic and frantic in a lot of ways. Is there a desire at this point for you to consider a transition like Christian or John Moxley? I, I, I would say desire is the wrong word just for for the industry as a whole, I think AEW is great because it gives people an alternative, you know, just as if, you know, I'm glad that there there's the PFL and Bellator to the UFC, you know, because the people who are the backbone of those industries, the fighters and the wrestlers, they need an option, right? There's no, there's no wrestlers union. Uh, there's no fighters union. So those, those people, who are the main force behind generating these billion dollar, you know, television deals and all this stuff. Um, you know, they're the workers, they, they need the option to leverage, to get the most out of these opportunities for themselves. So I think AEW is great in that regard. I'm, I'm super stoked for Christian, you know what I mean? Just as I'm, I'm super stoked for edge to see these guys get a second act, so to speak after, uh, their careers were ended prematurely due to injury, I think is, is amazing. So great to see. When we had Christian on the show last week, we figured out that he looks just like Dennis Quaid. Who do you get that you look? You, <laughs> I'm going to tell you who I think you look like, but I'm curious. Please to see do. Colin Farrell. Yep. I, yep. So I'll get, um, I'll get that. And I take that as a high compliment. And then I watch stuff Colin Farrell does. And I'm like, Oh man, I wish I looked like him. Well, um, I get Colin Farrell. I'll get a Jake Gyllenhaal Hill here and there, and uh, Bruce Campbell occasionally. All tremendous actors and handsome fellows. So I, I those are all high compliments to me. Did you ever have a Tony Hawk moment where you're on a plane or something, and people are and someone will come up and be like, "Oh my God, that's Colin Farrell." <laughs> no, I have I have more moments where people are like, "Do you know who you look like?" And I say things like Colin Farrell and they go, no, no, no. There's a wrestler named CM Punk. You look a lot like him. And I go, oh yeah. They said, do you ever hear that? And I go, yeah, every day of my life. And then they, they're confused. And I never know what I'm supposed to do in that situation. Like, am I supposed to go, it is me. Here's a sign. Here's an eight by 10. There you go. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm very socially awkward uh, and I'm as riddled with anxiety as most other people out on the street. So it's like, it's always, I'm always kind of like, uh, yeah, it is me. Like, what do you? Yeah. Hi. Yeah, there's no playbook for that one. Yeah, and I never know what to do. <laughs> you use the straight edge persona, you know, geniusly over the course of your career, and it's obviously paid dividends for your kind of personal brand. But is there a guilty pleasure that you have that maybe a loophole to that lifestyle? I, you know, being a straight edge kid my entire life, you always hear people run up on you and be like, "Caffeine's a drug," and it's always just like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, caffeine's, yeah, caffeine's a drug. All right. Um, 
Uh, Ian Mackay, the the lead singer, frontman of uh, Fugazi and, and Minor Threat. Oh, he's got this interview. I think you can YouTube it. It's great. So he famously tells a story of somebody running up to him. He's drinking an iced tea and somebody comes up to him and he goes, you're drinking iced tea? There's caffeine in that. Caffeine's a drug. My friend says caffeine's a drug. And Ian Mackay just says, tell your friend, fuck you. You know, like <laughs> fucking fucking relax you know so yeah i i mean i i guess that's my yeah i i don't it's not a loophole at all i i'm drinking coffee right now and so what you say you know, you're saying is you're addicted oh yeah i'm i'm addicted way to be I'm a drug a, I'm, addict oh, i'm addicted to a lot of things i'm addicted to my wife i'm addicted to horror movies i'm addicted to my dog you know yeah i'm just a big drug addict <laughs> i want to talk to you about cena and the success he's obviously had what, what were your thoughts when you met young Cena? And did you have any idea that he would become the mega industry that he's become at this point? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I, when I met John, he was already, I mean, he was already on top of the world. You know, he was already the biggest, he was, he was the next Hulk Hogan, right? But I, I think he's always remained the same guy. I thought uh, just what he brought to the table, like, you know, there's, in, in pro wrestling, like if you're, if you're over, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. You're, you're over. And like, that is the goal, right? You want people either cheering or booing. And he really brought that to the table. So like, I never understood people who would be like, Oh, he sucks. He can't wrestle. And like, there's a, there's a, a point where it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you can wrestle or not, like people are paying to see you. So, you know, that's why he was always a top guy. He, he generated such uh, activity on either side of the aisle. I've been asked what in acting could I apply to being a wrestler. And I always say, I'm not sure there's anything that I've learned from acting that I could apply to make me a better pro wrestler. But I think being on live television for a decade helped me be a better actor. And I definitely see the same thing with John, you know, just being able to work on the fly like that. And then you're on a movie set. Uh, I, I think it makes that transition a lot easier. So you were just commentating at that UFC MMA match and the mm -hmm. one where the finger was disconnected from the fighter. What the heck yeah. was happening? And so, <laughs> what the heck was happening? So I do commentary for uh, Cage Fury Fighting Championship (CFFC). They are a long-running East Coast-based uh, regional MMA promotion. Um, they are, I mean, you know, uh, outside eyes can call it a, a feeder league for the UFC. They broadcast live. We broadcast live on UFC Fight Pass. And a lot of the fighters you see in the UFC have gone through CFFC. So uh, it, it is one of the great joys of my life, honestly, because I'm such a fan of fighting. And to be able to talk to these fighters and get to know them and call their fights and then watch them blossom and go on to the UFC is tremendous for me. But yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that happen in combat sports before. Um, and what happened for anybody listening to this uh, who, who doesn't know... Um, there was a fighter named Hitag Pliev. He's a Russian, uh, former Russian Olympic wrestler. He was a boxer. So he's the Terminator, right? He's a tough Russian guy. And he blocked, he blocked the high kick 
uh, early in the first round. And when he blocked it, the, the kick caught his finger and it bent his finger back. So it dislocates his finger, but he just kind of tugs on it, puts it back into place, sees a second round. And in the second round somewhere, uh, the fighter he was fighting grabbed his finger and was pulling on it and essentially just ripped it off. And it got lodged in his glove, but nobody knew that at the time. So when he went to his stool at the end of the second round, he was just like this, like, and, and everyone's like, where's your finger? So the fight obviously got stopped. Uh, the fight, he lost the fight by uh, TKO um, doctor stoppage, obviously, because you can't fight when you're missing a finger, especially when we don't know where it is. And in the ensuing chaos is when we realized that his finger was stuck in his glove. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's never happened before. So we were flying by the seat of our pants trying to call the action as we saw it. What we were seeing on the monitor was this dude's fingers gone. So uh, that was, that was exciting. It was different. Wild. See, yeah. before, before we let you go, one of the objectives of this podcast is to talk to successful people like you and determine how you continue to elevate in different areas of your life. So given all the open road ahead of you in your life, what habits do you incorporate into your routine to ensure you keep elevating? I think a big one is consistency. Um, if, and, and it sounds corny and it sounds like it's, a, it's an Instagram inspirational post, but you should, you should love what you do. Now, obviously, you know, a job's a job. And we all need money to keep the lights on. But, you know, money isn't the most important thing to me in this world. You know, I became a pro wrestler because I loved pro wrestling and I just wanted to do it. There became a time in my career where the goal was make money at doing this so you don't have to have a job to support your wrestling habit. And, you know, and I, and I did that. And then as you travel down that road, um, if you build good habits, like, you know, consistency of, you know, working out training, uh, just being disciplined with, you know, diet workout and, and, every, and everything doors will open for you and you'll find new goals and, and things to conquer. But uh, I think at the heart of everything, if you want to be successful in whatever you do, you have to love what you do and you have to try to be the best at it. Everything else is just noise. The outside criticism uh, you know, naysayers, detractors, haters, whatever you want to call them. If you stay true to yourself and you love something, whether it's painting, race car driving, uh, dog grooming, I don't care what it is. If you love doing it, uh, do it, go after it, you know, chase it, follow your heart. Amazing. Bill, I have one last question before we let you go. You've had some pretty insane injuries. What was the most painful? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, off the top of my head, and I think there'll be a lot of athletes out there that'll agree with this is, uh, I've separated the cartilage, like my intercostals from like my ribs and man, you, they, they tell you all the time. They say, uh, the doctor will say you, you probably should have broken your ribs. You'd feel a lot better, you know, uh, because, I mean, you can't breathe. It feels like somebody's sticking a needle uh, in your side, like every time you try to move or take a breath. And just because it's so much of your movement, like, you know, I've broken, you know, bones in my face, my hands, my feet, and you can work around it. You know, I've torn up my knees. I've had a fractured skull. 
um, concussions. I, I feel like there's always a way to work around it, but when you separate the, the, the cartilage from your ribs, there's really nothing you can do, but lie completely motionless and, and wish that you didn't even have to breathe because just taking in a breath hurts. That, that's always super, super painful. Last one. Will Logan Paul eventually be the WWE champion? No. <laughs> okay. Better, we'll put a pin in question. Right Does there. he know who Logan Paul is? That face yeah, is he's like, just on WrestleMania. Logan. He had a good appearance there. All right, CM Punk. Don't forget to check out Jacob's Wife. Going to be a great horror film. And best of luck to you. We could go for another hour, but we got to know. This, is, this has been fun. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're awesome, man. You got a great personality and great stories. Thanks Welcome so much. Welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a Thanks, good one. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Take care, Colin. All right, folks, that was the very funny and very thoughtful Bill CM Punk Brooks, Jacob's wife in theaters on demand and on digital now getting great reviews, super high Rotten Tomatoes score. Congrats, CM Punk. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. You sure are. All right, Matt, our next guest, we gave her a nice plug at the top of the episode, but Hannah Burner, breakout star, summer house, incredibly funny and electric young lady. She's engaged now. Are you a Summer House fan after this? Can we convert you? Especially the season finale is this Thursday. Let's plug that too. Make sure to catch Summer House on Bravo this Thursday season finale. But are you going to be watching that? I'm going to be watching. I'm working through 90 Day Fiance right now, but I know once I start, I'm going to get hooked. So I'm just waiting for when I have the time to sit down and be like, I'm going to finish four of these in one night. That was the best PC. I'm not going to really watch this. I'm going to watch this answer I've ever heard. Just watch it, Matt. Just be like, you know what? I'm in Thursday. I'm watching Summer House. I got to I gotta talk to the wife. You know, we always we make decisions on our, you know, as, as a group now, because that's just the way life works, I guess. But I'll see if she wants to do it. And then we'll, you'll be the first to know, Arthur, all right? No, I think Hannah should be the first to know. You should tweet at her. Hannah, we're going to hold him to this. So when you hear this, hold him to it. Make Matt tweet you that he's watching the Summer House finale out of respect for the wonderful interview that you gave us. Give it to him, Hannah. If you move my hand to the fire, I'll take it. I love it. Let's get into this interview because I think listening to us schmoes is probably not as beneficial as listening to the interview. Yeah, we're going to give her and Summer House the endless hustle bump for their season finale. So without further ado, here's the very funny Hannah Burner from Bravo Summer House. All right, this is a joyous day here on The Endless Hustle as we invite on comedian, podcaster, and star of the wildly popular Bravo series, <laughs> Summer House, Hannah Burner. Hannah, thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me, bros. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, full disclosure, I'm, I'm ripping through 90 Day Fiance right now, oh, so oh, I yeah. might be the only one in my social circle who hasn't yet seen Summer House. Okay. I- I mean, I like your excuse of 90 Day Fiance, but it'll prep you for the mental anguish and intensity of Summer House, Rosé on the beach fighting. Yeah, (laughs) That's kind of what I'm at. Like, there's a million reality shows out there. (laughs) Like, what do you think is so captivating about Summer House? Because literally, like, I I went over to my brother's place last night. I was like, you got Summer House? I'm interviewing Hannah. He's like, Oh my God. You know, he got like giddy about it. So what is it about Summer House that has captivated so many people? 
Well, it's funny that you mentioned 90 Day Fiance because 90 Day Fiance is everyone has that one friend who would do risk takey things like go to, you know, Bangladesh to meet a guy they met on Facebook. But Summer House is like that really relatable drama that you watch and you're just like, that could be my friend group. I've actually experienced that a hundred times. I have opinions. So it's a very just relate. And it's not drama like Housewives where like people's husbands get deported. Like it's like I got into a huge brawl because I didn't take the trash out well. So like it's very relatable, but people get so passionate about it because they can see themselves, I think, in us. We're like the more extreme emotional versions of most people. It's It's so funny because one of my houses in New York is East Point, which is in the East Village. Mm -hmm. And I would see some of the cast there and you would literally think it was Brad Pitt showed up. It would (laughs) all the all the heads would turn. Oh, my God. It's the summer house people. (laughs) I'm like, here we go. Here we go. It's so funny, though, because I'm actually quite a homebody. And I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I would go out to Shelter Island where my grandpa had a place. And that's where I like learned to play tennis. And I, I would golf like I'm kind of a retired old man. So when the show, like when I heard about the show, I was like, I, I am that city girl that goes out to the Hamptons, but I've never really partied there that much. And these people are professionals. So I think also people admire like the stamina they have. And you see, like I slide sometimes, like I'm in bed while they're all like rallying and I'm like, I put up the white flag, I can't do it. So that's, I guess, a little relatable too. Everyone has better partiers in their group than others. Mm-hmm. So we've obviously seen with Paige and all the different press about the Hamptons and how they reacted to you guys. What's been kind of your personal feeling on the reaction that's happened out there? Well, I I wasn't there first season. I know that like Montauk was a beach town, but then it was becoming kind of this party town. And I think Montauk really wanted to try to preserve it as much as possible. But everyone knows that you make money in the summer because the city it's, they call them, which is us, come through and just spend all the money that, you know, our dad's credit cards or whatever people are doing out there. (laughs) But I personally, I now like I I'm, I have a fiance. We live in West Hampton. Um, I volunteer at the Southampton Animal Shelter. We love all the local restaurants. And like, I just feel like I'm such a real part of the community. Um, and you can kind of do whatever you want with the Hamptons. You can be a partier sometimes and you could also just enjoy the day to day, which is it's just one of the most magnificent places in the world. And I think we've actually gotten pretty well accepted at this point I think people get it like we're not go also our last summer we literally weren't allowed to leave the house and no no one was upset with us (laughs) you mentioned uh Des I know you're happily engaged but have you buried the hatchet with Bucky the Badger or there's still lingering feelings there so funny because Bucky he texts me now because like he or he dms me he has a kid like and I also think it's so funny I love going on podcasts years later and being like I had a huge crush on Buffy and he's like what (laughs) and he was able to laugh about it because it was just one of those college relationships and um I think it's just so fun to be able to be on a podcast with millions of people listening and just like (laughs) throw out shit I was afraid to say in person in college yeah so for our listeners uh Hannah went on I believe it was call her daddy and admitted that she had had a relationship with, you know, University of Wisconsin mascot, Bucky the Badger. Um, <laughs> and she w- really wore it like a red badge of courage. But do people know he's Bucky when he's walking on campus, like in plain clothes? Or is like, is it a well-kept secret? Okay, let me tell you guys the details. Because I, 
college athletics is what I love. So there's like about seven or eight different Bucky's because Bucky is like the star. Bucky has to do, you know, a charity over here. He has to be at a Wisconsin game there. Um, he's all over the place. So there's like seven of them and they train in the morning and that's how we kind of got to know them. And they know who they are, but like the larger people don't. But I would see Bucky like at a tennis match and I wouldn't know if it was him or another one of the guys. So I would try to like do something, but they are under strict, like they can't talk. They can't do any weird signals. They all have the same character. But they, Bucky has so much swag. He's so confident. He's so sexy. And they were much funnier and smarter than a lot of the athletes I was seeing. So I highly recommend the mascot. Is it seven different outfits or is it one outfit? No, it's seven? one outfit, but but seven different people to rotate because it's not just a one-man job to be oh, Bucky. Understood. That must stink, that, that outfit. Oh, and they'd be like hungover and then at football games having to do push-ups. And they said it's so hot. And they're like, I'm. Su-. they really have to be fit to be Bucky. Yeah, it was <laughs> Now I'm like, my, my buddy was the hawk for St. Joe's basketball team. And he had to <laughs> flap his wings the whole game. And he had like super lats and delts and shit that you can't even. It was like, oh, and he's like, dude, I would burn like 2,000 calories throughout <laughs> yeah. the game. They need a reality show of the mascots because there's like drama within the mascots. Um, I'm, I would watch that in a second. Yeah. Let's eat like- this together. I say we EP this, the three of us. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm down. I have some connections. <laughs> Hannah, I want to talk a little bit. I know you've had a pretty interesting career to date. You were an athlete, comedian, now a reality star. I want to go back to your, your time at Wisconsin. You know, you're the MVP in tennis, big time D1 school. You know, you had the opportunity to turn pro, but pass. How did that all go down? Were you did you turn down offers from sponsors or did mm-hmm. you just not pursue the path of professional tennis? Great question. Tennis is a really tough sport to go pro in because unlike team sports like football or basketball where you have coaches, you have you know physical therapy, you have equipment, they pay for your travel. Tennis is all entrepreneurial. And I was ranked, you know, like let's say top 50 in all the girls playing tennis in the United States, but that wasn't enough to get me a big, you have to be like top five to get a sponsor by someone for travel and stuff. And I also felt like a little burnt after college. And I was like, if I don't get to top 150, I'm not making money. Like I'm just not, I could travel and, you know, be a journeyman and be top 500 in the world. I thought, but like, I wasn't loving the game as much as I used to. And I was like, who am I trying to prove this to? you know? And that's when I kind of had the worst breakup of my life and was just like, we're done because college ended. I didn't want to travel. It gets so expensive. And I I joke, but it's like, you only get paid when you win. So like, imagine if the Knicks only got paid when they won. Like these guys would not be rolling in the dough the way they are. So um, I had to kind of make a sad decision because once college ends and it's not your decision, I went into just like, normal life and I quit and um it was very hard so who did, who did your game resemble and how fast could you serve <laughs> great questions I feel like I could serve like 115 I had like a natural really pretty good like loose arm I would like throw a football beforehand and I um I had like natural athleticism to me but I wasn't um like a, just a solid baseliner I was pretty scrappy and creative on the court I would slice I would come to net I would drop shot I would lob and I always felt like I was like 
creative on the court when sometimes I had to be more boring. Like I should be ro more robotic, but I'd be on the court. I'd know where everyone was watching. I know what was going on in all the courts around me. I would know what the girls trying to do. I would be in my own head. I just had too many fucking thoughts all the time. And sometimes it was good because I would like get in their head, which is why I like reality TV. However, because <laughs> like mind games. However, it wasn't great to be like an athlete. Like you really have to be repetitive and more boring. And then I realized overthinking is actually great for comedy because you always think of every angle of the conversation and, you know, opportunities to make jokes. So I started to realize that what made me maybe not the best tennis player might make me great at other things. I feel like you're the Nick Kyrgios of the women's <laughs> college tennis scene. Like just, were you just exploding? Were you having like Nick-like explosions on the court? It's funny because in juniors, I was very well behaved. Like my, my dad was all about sportsmanship and he was like, I will pull you by your ponytail if you disrespect anything. But then by the time I got to college, it was exhausting that like you got a calendar in the beginning of the year and they say, this is where you have to be every single day this year. And I hated that control people had on me and I was playing one, but my coach like didn't like when you're one, you can get a little like I'm you have to have some respect for me. But my coach was constantly just like fighting with me. And um, <laughs> I have broken tons of rackets. I once threw my rackets in the trash and got um, defaulted from a match. I've, I would like sit on the bench so sometimes where the girl was sitting after she like cheated me and I would just talk out loud about like how I felt. But that's the thing with college tennis. You call your own lines. It's insane. It's like in basketball, if people called their own fouls in the NCAA March Madness. There's cheating everywhere. So I would just get into fights. Girls would just like change the games of the set and you'd be like, it's three, two. And they'd be like, it's four, one. And I'd be like, what? So I was just losing my mind every day. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of ridiculous. For it's some. ridiculous. And that's why now in professional tennis, you'll never see people calling their own lines because there's too much on there's too much money on the line. But college tennis, there was a lot on the line and girls would just cheat nonstop. It was messy. Messy yeah. sport. Yeah, Hannah, I'm going to try to relate to you here because I believe our first viral moments were pretty similar. In sixth grade, <laughs> I had to uh, wrestle a girl at a tournament. <laughs> And the whole gym like stopped and looked. My mom got interviewed by the Boston Evening News, and it was it was pretty humiliating. I mean, I did you I, lose? But sorry. Oh, you won. I, I won, but like yeah. I didn't win her. Like it was a lose lose. Like people were like, "Whoa, she was actually good." Like yeah, uh, you know. And I know in in high school that you know you went viral for playing on the boys' tennis team. Mm -hmm. Can you take us through how it was to navigate because high school can be a pretty ruthless place. Yeah, well, it's funny that you said it's a lose-lose. I um, I was playing tennis at Poly Prep because my I got in because my coach was the coach there. And after two years, I was ranked like 15 in the nation for girls 14 and under. And he basically said, you can't stay in New York if you want to go pro. You have to go to Florida. So I, my parents were like, okay. And they just shipped me to Florida when I was 14. I was playing internationally. It was pretty tough. I was like, they were changing my grip. I was like lonely. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. I got to like top 200 in the world in the 18 and unders, but I was like, just not having fun. So I get back middle of, of junior year. I have no school that I'm going to. The tennis, I don't know what's happening because I'm just playing, playing internationally. I lost my national ranking. And a school called Beacon was like, hey, we have a good tennis team. Do you want to join? But we don't have a girls team. But if you're good enough, Title IX lets you play on the boys team. 
I said, sure. So I just show up in high school, middle of the year, raising my hand in class, trying to answer questions. But the tennis team really took me in because I knew some of the guys. And then um, we started to play like the big tournaments at the end of the year and other teams were not happy. But in my head, this was high school tennis. Like I train every single day. This is my entire life. A guy who smokes weed all day and like occasionally played tennis at camp is playing high school tennis too. So if I were to lose to some of these guys, I would jump off a bridge. But there was this thing where the coaches were like, this is a lose-lose for the guys. If they lose to her, it sucks. If they win, it sucks. But in my head, it's like, I'm playing freshman boys. If I lose to them, I'm upset. And tennis is this interesting sport where because it's not physical, it gets very mental. And um, so I was playing like three singles. We won the public school athletic championship in New York City. And yeah, this one guy just like broke all his rackets. But also I'm used to this. I've been training with guys my whole life. But next thing you know, there was like press everywhere. Like the New York Times was there. The Daily News was there. The New York Post was there. And I just remember feeling so much pressure. <laughs> like, oh my God, if I lose, <laughs> like they're not going to think it's interesting anymore or like feminism is dead. And I actually remember it being like a highly stressful time. However, when I went to Wisconsin, Beacon was granted enough money to start a girls team, which my dad then coached. So it kind of like was this good full circle moment. Um, but yeah, it was intense, but fun. And I love that the article still comes up, even though it's a terrible photo of me, but um, it was a great experience. Forget the, the reality show that we were just pitching. I want to pitch a reality show around <laughs> women's college tennis and the ruthlessness oh. of cheating. It is, well, that's why I was like, I could do, if I can survive women's college tennis, because you're on this team, but you're also competing against each other to be like, who's playing one, two, three, four every week. Then you have the coach who's like making money off of you guys. So he, he needs to feed his family. So he's so intense with you. Then you also are trying to have a social life plus pass your classes, even though you're playing 40 plus hours a week of tennis. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll EP that with you. What was it like getting on Summer House? How did that all happen? So before Summer House, I, when I quit tennis, I went into sales because my dad was in sales. It was competitive. People were like, if you were an athlete, sales will be a good fit. And I was doing really well, but I hated it. <laughs> like, I just felt like my soul was dying and I was just taking from everyone. I just, I'm more of a creative, like I wanted to create something. So I quit the job, even though I was doing well and cut my pay cut to do marketing because I thought it was more creative turns out marketing is even more boring and I was I quit that job after a year and I just started thinking like I want to do video again because at Wisconsin I was doing my last year I did some sports broadcasting because I, I I was like I know sports I know the athletes I could get some great interviews and I convinced them to let me do some YouTube videos so if you google like Hannah Burner Wisconsin you'll see me as a senior in college interviewing like like Frank Kaminsky was there. I did like the hockey team, the track team. Um, so I saw these YouTube videos and I go, I just want to do video. I just want to do video. So I honestly manifested the idea of video. I was telling everyone about it. And some random guy was like, hey, I work for Betches. They're this like funny company. I think you're funny. We're looking for a video producer with five years experience. And I was like, don't have five years experience. He's like, just submit a video. So they call me in and to anyone listening, do not ever apply for a job you're qualified for. Second of all, if you're not qualified, 
come in and tell them what you're going to do. Like if you don't have the experience, like I just walked in and said, these are all my funny video ideas. I can make them for you if you like. Um, thank you. <laughs> and they were like, sure, we'll pay you a couple hundred dollars a week and you can freelance for us. So I started as that. And next thing you know, I was, it was like, I called it Betches Bootcamp. I was writing like a hundred memes a week. I was writing videos. I was practicing my joke writing. They finally let me get on camera a little and it started to get popular. I was doing funny astrology stuff. I was doing funny like SNL type skits. And then Summer House like lost some of their cast. And I had known some of the Summer House people through, through Betches. We, I'd interviewed them. I'd see them around at like these media events in New York City. And my name was thrown around, I just think, because I was putting myself out there. I was outgoing and I knew some of the cast. So it was supernatural. Yeah, where does the the kind of creative muscle come from? Because, you know, where, where I grew up, the athletes, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, they, they rested on their laurels. They were, they were known for being athletes. And if they were attractive athletes, they had, you know, the personality of a shoebox. Yep. But like, <laughs> where did you kind of nurture that throughout your life? Were you always just, did you always just kind of have it? It's funny because growing up, I've always been very silly and goofy and I always loved art and I loved painting, but I was a very hyper child. So my parents were like, get her playing sports, get her running around. And I almost felt like because I was good at tennis and coaches were like, okay, you got to get her in, you know, six t times a week and the two a days and training, the creative side of me just fell by the wayside. And I've talked to a lot of athletes who are retiring and they feel very kind of lost and empty. I try to explain to them, like the things that made you great at your sport, you're going to put towards other things and be great at that too. Like it's, you're, you're, you don't live in that like singular box. You're going to apply the same like work ethic and approach um, to other things. But creatively, I do think I come from a creative family. And I also feel like it's a very common thing for me to just I don't like for all that I love sports. I don't like rules. I don't like people telling me how to do things. And I feel like creatively it's a better place for me to be heard where tennis, I always felt like I had to always be in the lines and now I get to kind of just be me. And it's been very kind of healthy for me. Um, scary at times, but I I've never felt more happy. Mm, great. Are you worried at all that like you're going to be the, the reality star instead of kind of where you kind of, uh, what do they call it? Cut your teeth with like kind of the more yeah. uh, like the sketch stuff and, and that type of stuff. Do you worry about going too far into that or is that, you know, not something you can think about? I think at the end of the day, because I'm not waiting for someone to hire me, I can put anything online and I let the audience decide. Like if I post, keep posting funny stuff online, who cares? Like if I'm on a reality TV show or if I'm an accountant, like if it's funny, it's funny. And I think that's, what's so exciting about this industry. I do think being on reality TV has not the same stigma as it did a while ago, where a while ago, you didn't have your own brand to like lead people to. If people like me on Summer House, you go on my page, it's not just Summer House. It's like, hey, you know, you can listen to two of my podcasts or like, here's a funny video I made, or, you know, here's me playing tennis. So where back then it was just what you saw, you know, in the tabloids about these people. And also nowadays it's like Cardi B and Kim Kardashian came from reality TV and um, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, I've heard of them. <laughs> I want to talk to you about New York City dating because I'm oh. single. That, this guy's engaged, but I'm the single guy in New York. Uh -huh. what, people don't understand the animal that is New York dating. What were some of your craziest experiences? I'm into, I love like large, large men. 
and I there was like some six nine like former Giants player that like we went to a bar together and it was weird like he was very braggy about like how many tennis courts his parents had and like all this stuff but I was like and he asked me if I party and I was like not I mean like I drink on reality tv a lot <laughs> and then, and he was just like yeah like I'm not into that stuff anymore cool and next thing you know I was like back in his apartment and he was like snorting cocaine off my tit and I was like it's a Sunday how did this happen and I left and like it, the thing in New York is people are not always of how they seem. I mean, you're, you're probably like Hannah, you should have known that he was going to do that. However, I think that New York City, people are also so busy with their own lives that it's like, A, people are too busy to like break up sometimes. Like people stay together because they're like, I, I have meetings next week. She's traveling. I can't break up with her. So I think that with New York City dating, you, there's also so many options that you can like try to force something because there's so many great people there but then next thing you know you're missing out and it just there's so many options we're in a smaller town I think you're like okay I got three people she's my favorite let's make this work we're in New York people like the next best thing with everything restaurants you know <laughs> guys it was it's a literal shit show we were joking <laughs> about it on Saturday I got ghosted for a date on Saturday <laughs> and my guy friends are literally like, you don't understand. You're one of 10 that she probably has date offers and Saturday afternoon, she's evaluating which of those she's going to actually do and probably stacking them that night. And you didn't even yeah. make the cut. Well, you nailed it. It's cutthroat. Like, cause that's happened to her before. So she doesn't mind it happening to you. And the next thing you know, everyone's just getting disrespected, but to make you feel better, I, I met my fiance during the quarantine like I was alone living with my parents with five cats we'd followed each other because we we're both in comedy and I guess he saw I was out east and he was like do you want to grab coffee and then we grabbed coffee and I was just like so into this guy but a lot of it is timing too with people's lives like he's 45 he's already lived a whole life <laughs> and he's just like I want to relax you can go travel make money do comedy I want to play golf and like chill in a hot tub and I was like yes that's great for me I'm into it what when you started kind of putting your life out there because of summer house like you're yeah. joking around you're like hey this guy did blow off my breasts you know like was well, it Summer. That could be that could be a hell of a podcast name. Yeah. Off my breast. There's what a title. To blow off my breast. Posted <laughs> oh, by Hannah Burner. Oh, you need to get that trademark, dude. <laughs> but how weird was it, like actually putting that stuff out there initially, and were your parents like absolutely mortified? Okay, so I'm that friend that just like I don't, I can't keep secrets. I tell everything as it is. And I love deep conversation. Like I hate the small talk. Like I'll be the person like 15 minutes in with someone being like, you have to follow your dreams. And like, I will just go deep with anything. So I also went to Summer House not trying to look a type of way or be perfect in any way. I think a lot of people go on TV trying to be aspirational. Like I'm so cool, I'm on TV, I'm better than people. When it's like, no, People watch me make the same mistakes that they've all made and just see kind of how I try to figure it out. And if I can make someone feel less alone with my stupidity, that makes me happy. And you also, that's where you can also look bad on reality TV is when you're like too, too not self-aware and you're like trying to be something you're not. So it actually helped me mature a lot where I've, I put myself in a lot of social situations I've never been in. When it comes to my parents, for example, like I went to third base on TV last summer they have 
they just want me to be happy. Like they've seen all the stuff that went through with my tennis and they, they just want me to find something that makes me happy. And also I get it from them. Like people are like, what do your parents think? I'm like, well, I'm made from my mom and my dad. And they're both just like so loving, so kind. My dad is the funniest person in the world. And he, he thinks it's hilarious. My dad will call me and be like, can I go outside today? Or did you do something stupid on summer house? And I'm like, "Mm, wear a paper bag and he'll laugh. So (laughs) my parents are just the most supportive and they just want me to be true to myself and be happy. And once I started just waking up every day and trying not to be depressed, that was when like I started succeeding in certain areas of my life instead of waking up and like having crazy goals and checklists. If you just like do what brings you joy, you actually, things start to fall into place for you. You mentioned caller daddy and two Mm -hmm. weeks of my life last year were Mm -hmm. eaten up by the whole caller daddy, Dave Portnoy, (laughs) Sophia saga. Literally everyone's was. I'm at my buddy's summer house. Who's like 49 years old. And Mm -hmm. Alex put up the video and we have it on his like 70 inch TV grown fucking men watching Alex rebut in detail. And I'm like, this is my Friday night in like Margate, (laughs) New Jersey. What is she like? I've never met Alex. I've met everybody, yeah. but I've never met Alex. And I'm mm-hmm. dying to meet her. Is that more shtick of what we hear on the podcast? Like, what is she actually like? I love that girl so much. And I'm not saying it. I'm like, oh, I just like up to her. She's famous. No, no, no. She and I are actually very, very similar. And I think she was the one who reached out to me because I think she felt I did a caller daddy response video of like the real issue with caller daddy, just saying it's like media companies and talent just butting heads. This isn't about like the girls or Dave Portnoy. It's like a bigger issue. And I think she liked that perspective. And she also, Alex is a division one soccer player. She's a perfectionist. She's an insane hard worker. And I've known her from kind of like, we actually started podcasts at the same time in a similar network. Then she left to go to Barstool, but, um, she similar to me where like I can sit here talk sports with you guys and in a second be gossiping with my girlfriends about like bravo memes so like she's multifaceted and it's not a play like we talk the dirtiest sex stuff together and it's not fake but she also can be like she this girl I tell her she edits her, her podcast the most insane I've ever seen like she edits it like a YouTube video where we'll record for two hours and she cuts it down and no one does it like her And I just have so, so, so much respect for who she is. The only thing I'd say is in person, she's just like a little lighter and sweeter than you'd expect. Like she's not as in your face. She's actually like very normal. She has her own insecurities, Um, but she's a very impressive just talent that I think is great for podcasting in general. Yeah. I mean, her just going into that like mostly male dominated environment and just being number one is just such a... But I do think that playing sports is a huge part of it. And people forget that about her. Like she's been an athlete her whole life. So as a female athlete, you're very used to being in a male environment. I think that's why I I think stand-up came naturally to me. Because a lot of girls don't do stand-up, not because like they're not funny, but because starting stand-up in New York, it's 11 p.m. going to a random Brooklyn bar with a bunch of guys you don't know and feeling confident enough to like make them laugh when they're all just sitting there like, hmm, is this going to be funny? But when I've kind of trained with guys my whole life, I had a little more, I wasn't as scared to do it. And then I was able to get like more girls to be with me, like, hey, let's travel together. Because also, if you're not making a lot of money, you can't Uber to these places. <laughs> so um, I think that Alex coming in um, is just like, it just, she's just an awesome person. And her work ethic is like unmatched. 
I wonder how many times she just laughs herself to death thinking about how much money Sophia cost herself. <laughs> like she, she's got to just be like, wow, what an idiot. I, it, it sucked that it like ended that way because I really think that they had this magic together, but then I've benefited from it. So I'm like, okay, thanks Sophia. <laughs> she's like, do you want to come on? And I'm like, I will, whatever you need, girl. <laughs> So you you obviously have your own popular podcast, but Caller Daddy is such a different animal. When you end yeah. up doing that show, mm-hmm. what's the response or does your social media just go nuts? Like, what's it like after doing that? Yeah, the first time I did it, I got like, I don't know, like 25,000 new followers, which is insane because you go on podcasts. It doesn't really move the needle with your social media majority of the time. So you just, I got to feel just like, how actually big it is and people come up to me all the time like not being like hey I know you from summer house they're like color daddy and then I'm like yeah that's the guy I was talking about in the shower and they're like yeah I like him and then we just like move on so it's just become like she jokes that I'm a stepfather but I've done it three times now and she doesn't know like she's she's been such a big part of my career but in her head she's like I needed a great guest and we have this great chemistry thank you and I'm like no 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 thank you um she also went on burning in hell my podcast which gave it like a big bump um but I do think that collaborating is the most important thing and it's really easy and especially the female space to be isolated when you're like at the top and she's also not friends with a lot of the comedians. She comes from this just like YouTuber kind of world. So the fact that she's reached out and collaborated with more people is just awesome. People helping people, powerful stuff. How, yeah. I got to give the, the, your fiance now his roses because the getting coffee move is something that I've been championing for years. The don't yes. take her out for drinks. Ask her if she wants to get coffee. And I get shit from all my friends. What is your take on the coffee date? I love the coffee date so much because you also get to see them kind of in their natural environment of during the day, not this like nighttime, like, are we going to hook up? What's going to happen? And he's super awkward. And he's like, do I touch your arm? Do I not touch your arm? I'm wearing cologne. <laughs> also, Des is sober since he's 19. A lot of comedians are sober, but he's sober. I'm clearly not sober, but I, I actually detox like all winter. I don't really touch alcohol that much. I'm more of an eater than a drinker. Um, so him doing that immediately, he was seeing the kind of person I am in terms of like, is she cool with like not drinking every day? Um, and then we just like hung out for four hours in Sag Harbor, talked about everything from sports to comedy to like our upbringing. And I was just like, yeah, I like this guy. Amazing. How is wedding planning going? I'm in the midst of one myself. You oh my know, God. When do you plan on having it? DJ or band, food station or buffet? Give us the 411. Okay, so I never really thought about my engagement ring. I never thought about weddings. It wasn't something I've never even dated a guy that I thought I could marry before. It just never crossed my mind. So then when I started dating this dude, I was joking my friends. I'm like, I don't even want an engagement ring. I want like a pearl, like a little pearl. And they're like, grow up. Next thing you know, I was like, I want two diamonds, like Emily Ratajkowski. And he was like, okay, you're out of control. But then I joked, I was like, I just want a garage wedding. Like, I just want a barbecue in a garage, people chilling, having a party. Because we're all like, they put wedding in front of it and they add 20K to everything. So we're actually trying to do just like a fun kind of outdoor barbecue picnic type vibe. Not too many people. We were trying to do a shotgun wedding like this August, but the venue fell through. So now I think we're going to wait a year, actually enjoy our engagement. We've never even dated out of the pandemic. So that could be something we could try. Because who knows, maybe he like 
sings happy birthday at restaurants for other tables. Like I need to know these things. Maybe there might be an issue. When the plane lands. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're like, shit, what did I get myself into? Peace out. Maybe he like puts gummy bears in his popcorn at the movie theater. Like these are things I need to just like. Says like yummers. Like what? By the way, how weird is it, like, having that announcement, like, People Magazine and now tabloids actually give a shit about you? Like, how crazy is that all? Well, that's actually why our venue fell through. (laughs) Wait, what? Our venue fell through because it was kind of like a family friend who is, is like, a private person. And they were like, we didn't realize you were famous in this way. And we just don't want that attention. And I was like, I totally get it. But after the proposal, it was so weird because I knew that, like, I couldn't tell certain people because they would tell certain people and then it would get, like, leaked. And I was also putting, I randomly put the ring on my Instagram, like, five times accidentally. And people were like, what is she doing? What is she trying to say? Um, so it was just so weird that we waited. And then I talked and, like, finally had an official, like, now we can let the world know. But it was nice to just enjoy it with my family. But it didn't really hit until, like, random people and my friends were texting me like oh my god but I had kind of two engagement announcements like the one with my family and then the public and the response was insane because I'm on a reality show from months ago where you're seeing me having drama with other guys and I'm not that I don't post him that much on my social media because my social media I like to just make people laugh I'm not like this is my boyfriend I'm in love with him and I also think if you post posts like that you're probably cheating on each other so when I dropped an engagement ring, people were just like, some people were mad. They were like, that doesn't make sense. You're crying over a guy right now on TV. And then some people were very happy. Some people were like, this isn't going to last. And normally in real life, you don't hear people say that about your relationship. They like call their cousin and gossip about you. But um, it's a weird life we're living in. But he's also been in the public eye in Ireland a lot. So he's given me a lot of good advice on how to handle like he basically said in his highest moment, sometimes people make you feel your worst. So just try to really enjoy it when it's happening and not listen to the chatter. I feel like that should be a t-shirt famous in Ireland. <laughs> it's so funny, but he like Ireland, he's like a huge comedian in Ireland. Anyone who's Irish, you say his name, they lose it. And it's, I've never been. So I can't wait for that experience. You know, people don't realize Bravo fame. Like being a Bravo celebrity is like a whole different level of fame. I've been interviewing all the Bravo people now for God knows eight or nine years of my oh, life. Wow. And I'll put pictures up with housewives or summer house or you name it. And they'll get more likes on social media than like Brad Pitt. You know, like what was the first time you realized that shit, I may be kind of famous here? Well, what people don't really know is like I'm a huge Bravo fan like Vanderpump Rules got me out of like multiple depressions when I felt bad about myself to just like be stuck in their own fucked up lives and I also I loved like um Millionaire Matchmaker I I wasn't a big Housewives person but I watched Southern Charm and I actually watched Real Housewives in New Jersey which is funny and I like loved Andy so when I got on the show I kind of thought like this is cool but like no one's gonna like think I'm a problem celebrity <laughs> and then I think it the summer house started doing well and that's when like other bravo celebrities will start kind of like Luann and I text all the time get lunch all the time it's just like this different world that no one else really understands but you guys and you just kind of talk about the game and the scene and Andy <laughs> and it's 
it's so weird but yeah it's truly a cult if people don't know about it you don't know but if you do like it's a whole different language that people speak it's i'm telling you when you're talking to women and i'll literally be like what do you do for a living i'm like oh i interview celebrities and athletes mm -hmm. and i could again a-list movie stars like eh, cool bravo stars like oh my god what is hannah burner really like oh my god it's like it's like a fucking but what's crazy is we've been in a pandemic since season four aired that was my second season that was like a season where i really had like a lot of good personal stuff happening but i've been stuck in my house the whole time so i don't really know the extent i know right before the pandemic hit i was getting a spray tan like butt naked labia out and the girl was like I love you on Summer House. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's never. <laughs> or I'll be in the subway and people like start recognizing me on the subway a lot. Um, so I don't even know the real extent of it because I'm, I'm, I've been hiding out. You're also doing chat room, by the way, which is another brilliant Bravo Andy idea. It's like, let's create our version of The View with a bunch of Bravo stars. How oh my God. With that? It is so much fun. I call it, I call us Andy's angels. Cause like, he's really our boss. And like, we're all like, we hope Andy likes it. And occasionally he'll pop in to talk to us. And we're like, hi, Andy. Um, I feel so honored that Bravo started to see me in a different light where I've always been putting so much time into my podcast and my comedy. And, you know, in Summer House, you see whatever happened in the summer. But the fact that they saw me as a talent to, like, also make fun of Bravo and make fun of myself was so great. And it was Kate Chastain and I had really good chemistry. And she was the one who kind of recommended me. And then Portia and Giselle and I just became, like, like they are incredible people in my life. Like, we really, we, we have four acts each episode. And in between each act, you know, we're chilling on our Zooms. We just continue the show like we don't stop to the point that they like started using those segments and putting them online for social media like that's just who we are and it's been just such an awesome experience for bravo to give me a different kind of opportunity do you start getting calls from production companies networks even internally with bravo who are like all right we see you as more than the summer house girl now we want to build something more around you well i do think chat room what is that first step um, and I also, I love reality TV because I really get to be myself, <laughs> but, but you don't always have control of it all where chat room is what brings me the most joy right now. And, um, like Andy, I didn't even know Andy knew who I was. So the fact that I'm like developing this relationship with him is just like such an honor and to be surrounded by women like Portia and Giselle who have their own businesses, written books. Like it's just, I want to surround myself with these kind of like successful driven people. You're awesome, Hannah. Yeah, that was great. I mean, she's a great social media follow, follow for all of our listeners out there. Check out her two podcasts, Burning in Hell and Giggly Squad. <laughs> clubhouse you were great uh, thank you guys we're going on 50 minutes here and it, you know feels like we can go 50 more so you're welcome <laughs> back anytime uh, by the way who do you get that you look like oh i don't know what do you think roseanne try... <laughs> who <laughs> no i've been trying to figure it out you look exactly like an actress and i can't place it and it's been killing me all episode and i've literally been wanting to ask you and i figured you'd have like oh i get the i get so many people one it's two so, three but. yeah i don't i don't get a lot i'll get random um like hillary swank or brie larson i'll get sometimes a brie larson is who you look like people, say, brie larson. Larson. people say that <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no, she's gorgeous. I've interviewed Brie many times. She's beautiful. She's also crazy talented. Yeah. Um, so are you. Come on. Let's you. not diminish the Hannah Burner skill level. <laughs> thank you. All right, folks, if you don't listen to that and realize that Hannah Burner is going to be an absolute superstar in the TV and comedy world, I don't know what else is going to make you think that. She was, Matt, she was just electric. There's no other way of putting it. You and I, when we taped that interview, we came off and we're like, we love Hannah Burner. Yeah, I think that what really got me is the cocaine off of the breast story. I, that, that really put a jolt in me and, and elevated her to a whole different level, you know, pun intended. I mean, that's what makes her so appealing. She's so authentic. And I also loved her story about just getting discovered when she was working at Betches and they took notice of her. Just tells you that there are people out there that are scouring the internet and scouring the world for unknown talents like Hannah Burner. And it's easy to see after this interview, at least it was for me and I'm sure it was for you as well, it's easy to see why her podcast has become so successful and her personality really translates to what I feel is the modern day woman. It's just, let's put it out there. We can talk about our sex life. We can talk about all the crazy stuff that we've gone through. Hannah's a perfect example of why a young woman or anyone would listen to her and just think, you know what? I really connect with the authenticity, the rawness and the honesty that that she brings to the table. Congrats on all of your success, Hannah. Just like CM Punk, you are welcome back anytime. All right, that's another amazing episode in the book, Matt. We're going to be back with episode 52 on Thursday. Another two great guests. We'll be announcing them shortly. Let's give them the plugs. Let's give them the plug. Subscribe to Endless Hustle wherever you pod. Watch on Bro Bible's YouTube channel and keep up with Bro Bible on social media at Bro Bible on Instagram and Twitter and our Endless Hustle channels at Endless Double Underscore Hustle on Twitter and at Endless Hustle Pod on Instagram. My personal is at Mr. Cohan and a fellow Arthur. I am at Arthur Cade on Twitter at It's Me Arthur Cade on Instagram. Thanks, as always, for endlessly hustling with all of us. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Peace.